We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Go, you Redbirds! Go, you Redbirds! On the battle, fight for ISU! Welcome to In the Nest, the Illinois State Athletics podcast. Now, here's the voice of the Redbirds, John Fitzgerald. Hi again, and welcome in to another edition of In the Nest, the official podcast of Illinois State Redbird Athletics from Learfield. I'm John Fitzgerald, and today we're joined by Senior Deputy Director of Athletics, Leanna Bordner for Illinois State. And today's conversation, as always, brought to you in part by Jason's Deli. Redbird fans, all good things start with wholesome ingredients. Visit Jason's Deli in Normal on Veterans Parkway today and receive free ice cream with every purchase. Leanna, thanks so much for joining us today. You just completed, if we go on the academic calendar, 30 years in the administrative wing at Illinois State University going on year number 31 coming up this fall. But let's go back a while if we can. And your whole career after an outstanding athletic career with three different sports that you lettered in at Michigan State began on the college basketball court as an assistant coach at various places. It did, John, and I'm happy to be here and talk a little bit about how I uh, ended up here, really. So I grew up in Jonesville, Michigan, not Jonestown, as many (laughs) friends always ask me uh, how the Kool-Aid is in in Jonesville, but a real small town, 2,000 people, 1,000 support Michigan State, 1,000 support Michigan. My parents, uh, my dad had gone to Michigan State, and uh, my aunt and uncle had gone to Michigan State. So we were a Michigan State family from a very early age. They had great friends that were Michigan fans, and some of the things they did uh, with the rivalry uh, would have resulted in uh, prison terms, probably, not just jail. um, But they had great fun with that rivalry. So... Um, we, we grew up um, modest means, didn't 
you know, have, have a lot. We never knew it, but vacations for us were a tent on a lake. And when I was in the sixth grade, my best friend invited me to go to a college football game. It was the first time I had ever stayed in a hotel. We ended up going to Michigan State to the football game. We went on a Friday. And I like to say when I'm talking to recruits and telling this story, it was 100 years ago, and they didn't have windscreens at the time. They had uh, canvas around the football practice field. And on this Friday afternoon, my friend and I tried to peek through the fence, and we couldn't, of course, but there was an intramural softball field right next to the football practice field. So we drug a little six-row set of bleachers up against the fence, climbed up to the top of the bleachers. I looked over out over this field of, even then, 100 years ago, 110, 120 football players with block S's on their helmets. And I told my friend I wanted to do three things. I wanted to go to Michigan State, I wanted to coach basketball, and I wanted to be an athletic director. And so I, I decided that I did want to go to Michigan State, and I knew I would have to support myself financially, not because my parents couldn't help, but I had three younger siblings. So I started working when I was 14, started working at the local Tasty Freeze. By 15, I was the manager of the Tasty Freeze. And throughout my high school career and even my college uh, time, I would come back to Jonesville and uh, one summer I worked three jobs. I ran the rec department, I worked at the Tasty Freeze and I worked in a factory. And that was interesting, but um, I, I put myself through school, four years, uh, no summers, got my degree in physical education. And when I, when I showed up on Michigan State's campus, uh, and this was in 1973, um, I moved into a residence hall twice the size of my hometown, uh, 4,000 people on the far east side of Michigan State's campus. All the athletic facilities were on the far west side. First thing I did was buy a bus pass, best decision I ever made. And, and during those times, you had to try out for teams. So I um, saw a sign, you know, I knew that in a week was gonna be the meeting for basketball tryouts. And again, I have no idea what this includes. So I have a paper sack with my JCPenney canvas tennis shoes because that's all I had. And um, I, I show up at this meeting to try out for basketball. Now, in my high school life, I had one year of high school basketball, and that's all I had. Um, and I felt fortunate that I could have one year of high school sports. So I go to this meeting, and the meeting's about over, and the, the coach is talking about the tryouts, and I very quickly learn I don't have to put my sneakers on to go shoot or dribble, that they will actually be coming up in another week. But she looks right at me and she said, I need you to stick around. Of course, I'm scared to death. I've been there for a week. I know I've, be I've behaved. So I stick around and she said, do you want to play field hockey? And I, again, I'm from Jonesville, Michigan, only one sport. And, and I told her, I said, I have no idea how to play field hockey. And she said, I'll teach you. And during those, those times, Michigan State had not really made a commitment to coaching women's sports. So every coach coached at least two mm -hmm. sports. So the field hockey coach was an Olympic field hockey player and she was going to coach basketball as her second sport. So she taught me how to play field hockey. I was a frustrated fullback, a defensive player that snuck up on the offense, uh, tried to get up there and she would motion me back and so I'd go back to where I was supposed to be. And 
But I, I enjoyed it. Um, so I played field hockey in the fall, basketball in the winter. And in, in the spring, I played softball. And I had played slow pitch softball um, just in, in rec leagues. And I had actually practiced with a little league baseball team. And I'll never forget this like it was yesterday. Um, I had practiced and practiced and practiced. And one day the coach said, you know what? I'm going to throw you a pitch. And if you can hit this pitch, I'm going to find a way to get you in the game. And so I was like, here's my chance. So I'm in the batter's box, and I'm ready to just, you know, knock the heck out of the ball. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and he throws me this pitch. It's a changeup. And I was just swinging to beat the band. And so I missed my opportunity to play Little League Baseball. So when I went to Michigan State, I was excited to be able to play softball on a college team, and I was the shortstop. And I was the shortstop until a woman by the name of Carol Hutchins, who just retired as the winningest coach in the history of the University of Michigan uh, as their softball coach. Hutch started playing semi-pro softball when she was about six years old. So when she came to Michigan State, she became the shortstop and I became an outfielder. But again, I, I was a team player and I knew she was better than me. She's still one of my best friends. So I, I played played those sports, you know, almost every sport every year, I had a different coach. One time I, I had a softball coach for two years, but other than that, a different coach. And so I learned so much about what not to do as a coach. I really did more than I ever could have learned in a class or out of a book. And I got my degree in physical education, teaching degree, even though I knew I didn't want to teach. So I was very fortunate. After I graduated, I stayed for a year at Michigan State as an assistant coach. Then I went to Indiana for two years. Um, have some great Bobby Knight stories. That's probably for a different podcast. <laughs> um, and then I went to Central Missouri State. And they were Division Two. And I thought you know, I'll, I'll stay here a year or two and then I'll move on and ended up staying five years, five of probably the best years of my coaching career. We won the national championship in 84. We finished second, 83 and 85. And then I went back to Michigan State for my last eight years of coaching. And when I went back to Michigan State, Michigan State was at the bottom of the Big Ten. The, te the women's basketball teams at that time were Iowa and Ohio State. And I was very fortunate. I was with a head coach, Karen Langland, and another assistant, Sue Guevara. We're still fast friends. And we were committed to turning around the Michigan State women's basketball program. And honestly, we outworked people. And, um, and I knew, you know, that I didn't want to, I loved coaching. You know, and coaching during those times when I coached was very, very different. You did not have support people. You were the coach, the recruiter, the academic advisor, the tutor, the fundraiser, the marketer. The only thing they didn't let us do were tape ankles, and there was a very good reason for that. But I bet you were probably sleeping the floor, though, at times, too, weren't you? We, we swept the floor. We helped set up the chairs and the bleachers. And, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of sets of uniforms. And mm -hmm. it, it, it was. It was a very, very different time. But, again, we, we turned the program around. And about my fifth year back, I thought, eh, you know, I love this. But I do want to get into administration. Maybe I'll think about leaving. Well, we, we go to the NCAA tournament. And on and on. And, you know, the next year it was I love these freshmen. The next year it was I love these seniors. Mm -hmm. So 
I left coaching and started looking for jobs. And while I was a student athlete and while I was a coach, Illinois State always held a prominent place in my history, in my memory, because of their support of women's sports. Before Title IX was signed into law, Illinois State offered opportunities for so many women. They had over 800 women's PE majors at the time, and they were, they were pioneers, they were leaders in AIW, which was the governing mm-hmm. body at the time. And, and so when, when I started looking for jobs and there was an entry-level position open here, uh, it was a no-brainer for me. Um, I, had, I was the very first assistant coaches rep to the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, Jill Hutchison, three-time president. So, you know, I knew Jill. I knew of Linda, um, you know, and so I came here, interviewed for the job, and, and John, you know, my last year at Michigan State, I was making $30,000, finally full-time. 28 of, or um, I'm sorry, 14 of my 16 years as an assistant college basketball coach. I was part-time, you know, wow. $3,000, $5,000, but I'm making $30,000 at Michigan State, and I give it up. Come here, entry-level position. Linda offers me the job. I'm going to be the event manager. $15,000. 30 years ago, I came here for $15,000. But for me, it wasn't about the money. It was about the opportunity to be in an institution that valued women and valued women's sports and, and put so much behind it, again, before, before anybody told Illinois State that they had to do it. So I was very fortunate. I came here as the event manager, and, you know, it was a nine-month, it was a 12-month position, but, you know, clearly we only do events for nine months. Mm-hmm. So I said to Linda, you know, what am I going to do for three months? You know, I had just left coaching, and she said, we'll figure it out. So after a month, they said, you're going to do marketing. I said, great. I had one marketing class in my <laughs> master's program, but guess what? I recruited. I sold. Mm-hmm. I can do this. So I was very fortunate that I was able to do that, you know, when I wasn't doing my event manage, event management job. So I, I did that for two years, and then I moved to the, the marketing side and director of marketing and did more on, you know, the external side, sponsorship, fundraising. And, you know, Linda retired and, uh, and ended up coming back, and we had a hiring freeze. And at the time, I was doing the SWA job and the external job. And fortunately, Linda was able to start taking some of the external things off mm-hmm. of my plate so that I could really focus on on being the senior woman administrator. And back in 1982, when women's sports were absorbed by the NCAA, and you know, as I mentioned, AIW was the governing board forever, and NCAA didn't want the women for right. a very long time. but. So in 1982, when, when that transition took place, there were, there were some women kicking and screaming about you know, going to the NCAA. So the bargaining chip, one of them, was every athletic department would have a senior woman administrator. So basically, it's the highest ranking female in an athletics department. You can do different things. At some institutions, the SWA is business office, compliance. Mm-hmm. It, it can be a number of things. But... I oversee sports, I oversee men's and women's sports, um, 
do a lot with crisis management, always have liaisons to several different units on our campus that deal with crisis management. Uh, the sheriff, the chiefs of police have my cell number. I have theirs, fortunately. Have not had a conversation <laughs> other than a very pleasant, cordial, you know, non-business-like uh, conversation with them in a very, very long time. But, um, and so, you know, that's kind of what I do. I, you know, every day is different in athletics, and that's why I really like being in intercollegiate athletics. You know, my 30 years here, I've had opportunities to go to other institutions to be the SWA, WBCA, NCAA, you know, Illinois High School Association, lots of different opportunities. But I am a big believer in this place, in this institution. And, um, you know, Jill Hutchison coined the phrase, people make places. Um, and I firmly believe that. It's something I, when I'm meeting with recruits and parents and prospective employees, I, I talk about this place and the people that make up this place and have for 30 years. And it's, it's not singular. It's not one person that makes this place. It's not 10. It's not, you know, the 3,500 employees or the 20,000 students. It's all of us together. And, and we really have a lot of positive things going on in this institution. You know, I, again, when I'm talking to recruits um, and, and parents, you know, no place right now in higher education is perfect. Power fives have more zeros after their problems than we right. do. But um, it's, it's kind of the nature of the beast of where higher education is in terms of enrollment and not enough money and facilities and not just athletic facilities. So, but, you know, for me, um, you know, those people for me personally are the pioneers. The people like Linda Herman, uh, who came here as a volleyball coach, became the SWA, had a, had a terrific career as a volleyball coach, and then SWA, inaugural class of the American Volleyball Coaches Association Hall of Fame, you know, three time, maybe four time, we keep going back and forth about how many times she was interim AD, but a fabulous, fabulous leader in this athletic department, Jill Hutchison. Her, you know, her tenure here, her, her student-athlete graduation rate, testifying in Congress and why women should play full-court basketball, and her contributions to the, you know, Olympic teams, and, and the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, mentoring, uh, Kathy Schneedwin, the very first female head athletic trainer for a Division I football team. And of course, Melinda Fisher, the winningest coach in the history of Illinois State Athletics. Those people have paved the way, and so many more, so many mm -hmm. more, have paved the way for so many st student athletes, coaches, and staff at this institution. And I, I'm just proud that, you know, I, I stand on their shoulders and, and every day I hope I can help move this institution and athletic department forward in all of the so many positive ways they did for so many years. When you take a look at, and I, I don't think the general public, while they know that there's obviously a aspect of Title IX that really started here aggressively at Illinois State University, 
when you name some of those former coaches across the board in sports, but especially with basketball, and obviously that's a little bit dear to your heart, when you look at the attendance figures for the Final Four and the women's Final Four this past year and what the meteoric rise of Caitlin Clark as far as a household name for a women's basketball player these days across the board, I mean, those roots really did start here in Bloomington Normal, but it's probably at the same time for you because you've seen the whole growth of it in different aspects. It's almost probably hard to fathom where it's gotten to, isn't it? It it is. It really is hard to really wrap your you know your arms around it. You know, the very first women's basketball national championship was held in Horton Fieldhouse in 1972. It, when you look at the history of things like that and the leadership of AIAW. Um, you know, we, we many pioneers, you know, that, that weren't coaches, that were in other leadership roles. Um, Lori Mabry was the women's athletic director. Phoebe Scott was uh, on the physical education faculty, but very involved with many aspects of girls and women in sport. And, and that growth has been happening. And, and it's ironic now, you know, for years, people would say, nobody cares about women's basketball. We're not doing it because nobody cares about women's basketball. And, you know, throughout this, especially this past year, throughout the the championship on social media, you know, somebody would have a great attendance that get posted and everybody, nobody cares about women's (laughs) basketball. I mean, it's the irony. We've been trying to tell people for years. We've been trying to tell the NCAA, separate women's basketball, sell women's basketball. You can, you can make, you, excuse me, you can make money advertising. Nobody would believe it. Well, guess what? People are believing it now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, apparently a couple of the sponsors for the, the men's tournament have already said they're not going to renew. And when women's basketball comes up, they're going to jump on board. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Two is going to turn into four. It's going to, I mean, Absolutely. I just think there's so much positive out there right now. And you know what? Softball. Softball championship. Oh, my gosh. It's so positive. Volleyball. There's so many women's sports that have grown and grown and grown. And, you know, the sad thing is, and, we, and it, you know, I'm a realist, um, men's basketball is 50 years at least ahead of women's basketball. You know, same with all the other sports. We're never going to close the gap, but we've got to keep making progress because men's basketball is making progress. All the other baseball is making progress. So we can't stop now. And, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest focus for us, and, you know, we had several, Jill and Linda and, and Melinda, you know, very involved with our Title IX celebration, but one of the main focus that we had that we still talk about we have got to educate and empower the younger generation because we're not going to be around forever to fight Mm -hmm. the fight and we need the caitlin clarks to pick up the torch and you know we're very proud of our title IX landmark you know the only one in the country right now until somebody tells us differently but a very significant part of that landmark is a female student athlete with a torch and we feel like we have to every day every month every year continue to educate and empower our young female student athletes to carry that torch 
because nobody else is going to carry it for them. And certainly, you know, the the level of play on the court or the field or the pool or wherever, it, it will carry a lot of weight. But we need those voices. We need those strong women that are willing to stand up. And trust me, you know, there's still going to be some some hits that are going to come. And, you know, they're probably a little different hits than our pioneers took. But it's going to take some very strong women to, to continue to carry the torch and make a difference. But you're right to keep up with the Joneses, I think, on the men's side, whether or not it's football or men's basketball. There's enough people pushing on that end that there is a new generation that's going to need to keep that running. But I, I go back to you sitting in the classroom at Michigan State for that basketball meeting. I mean, the thought process that whatever it is now, 45, 46 years later, that Nebraska would sell out their football stadium for a women's volleyball game this coming fall, it just doesn't seem like it's in the same planet to even think about. I know, mind-boggling. And, you know, there's such a rivalry in in the Big Ten with volleyball. And and interestingly, uh, the SWA from Wisconsin was in town about three weeks ago visiting a friend. She went to high school with a... Uh, a staff member from the other side of campus and I ran into her and and we were talking about Nebraska and Wisconsin and Nebraska whoo I mean that volleyball so mm-hmm. what do you think uh, Wisconsin's going to try to do now absolutely uh, you know and try to more people and and you know what that is awesome the sellout crowds for women's professional soccer awesome mm-hmm. you know it's it just it's getting so much bigger and better. And I like to think in positive ways. You know, women, female student athletes traditionally have been more uh, at, at ease meeting fans, meeting children, autographs, the interactions. You know, for years, our, our women's basketball and volleyball fans, you know, our ticket holders would, would say, oh my gosh, we're so happy we got to get to know Susie or Betty I was in Coles the other day, and a woman approached me about Paige. Where's Paige now? How can we? <laughs> we we love Paige, and you know what? Paige was here for a year. Thankfully, right. we wish she could have been here longer. But you know, Paige's impact, and and this this fan was not a young person. You know, it, it was an older fan, which is a lot of our demographics. Sure. But you know. It, it, it just it goes a long way when when our fans really know the kids mm-hmm. and and that's why you know one thing you know hopeful very hopeful that our rosters can stay the way they are and we don't lose kids to the transfer portal because that's what makes it hard is for our fans to really get to know our student athletes absolutely I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. 
The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The, that's, I mean, the million-dollar question, I guess, moving forward across all levels of college sports right now. I want to go back to the one thing you said at Michigan State when you were kind of toying with the idea of maybe moving away from college coaching and going into administration. And, you know, having been a coach myself, I have battled those same, boy, we really have a good freshman class coming in, this isn't the time, or I really want to see these seniors through, exactly like you said. But that kind of caring, that kind of servicing, four-year women's basketball players, whether or not it was in Indiana, Central Missouri, or Michigan State, that was kind of what got you out of bed in the morning. Now you fast forward to over the last 30 years here at Illinois State, you're going to multiply that by about 50 because now you have 500 student-athletes, but that service aspect and the relationship with the student-athletes is still a big reason why you come to work every day, isn't it? That is exactly my why. And as I thought about the transition into administration, I looked at it this way. For 16 years, I coached kids, and I use the term kids affectionately, <laughs> like children. And moving into administration, my goal was to coach coaches. And I feel like as an administrator, if you have coached you're a better administrator. Now, I am not throwing administrators under the bus who have not coached, but I feel like if you've coached, you've been in the trenches, you have a different understanding. You know, if a coach is coming to you, whatever it might be, you've been there. You know, you've done that as a coach. And I feel like that is so important. And, you know, one of the things I knew I was going to miss the most uh, getting out of coaching was interaction with student athletes. And I was very fortunate. My first year here, I got to do color for women's basketball. Mm-hmm. So I got to travel and be around the student athletes. So I, I kind of got a, my fix of student athletes, you know, in my first couple years. But every day, that's my, that's my why, is, is serving coaches, student athletes, and staff. And that should be paramount to everybody in athletics. You know, and it's no different business. You're serving someone. You're serving goals and missions, and maybe it's making dollars, but, but you are serving. That, that is what we do, and that's how I was raised. I, you know, my parents raised all of us to serve and, and be grateful and appreciative and respectful. And... And I, I try to do that every day. And, you know, there have been, there've been some times with kids, student-athletes, you know, when I was coaching and even administratively, there were tough conversations. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were decisions that had to be made that were very, very hard. And I, I, 
I helped make the best decision for our coaches in, in our department. And while student athletes at the time may not totally understand the decision, for the most part, uh, those student athletes, you know, have all still come back as, you know, as uh, appreciative. And sometimes those decisions have changed their lives. Absolutely. You know, it, it, that's what they needed. They needed something tough happening to them for them to change where they were going and and how they could be successful in life. And I feel like as an athletic department, we have always made holistic decisions. Health, you know, whatever it might be, we, you know, victories are great, but mm-hmm. not at the expense of a student athlete and or coach, really. And, and I'm really proud of that. And, you know, we, we have really, really good student athletes in, in this athletics program. We have really, really good coaches. We have really, really good staff. And, and I am so grateful that we are on a daily basis able to put the focus on all of those people. And um, that's my why. And, you know, I'm still, I, I'm still friends with the, the kids I coached. And ironically, this is like a random thing that happens frequently. I was, I was meeting with a prospective women's basketball student athlete uh, this week. And from the minute the mother walked in, she said, you look familiar, you look familiar. And it took us about two minutes. I coached her sister at Michigan State. And it's, it's like, what in the world? How does that happen? But, you know, and, and her sister, again, is, was one of my favorite players. And, and um, you know, right now, uh, we, I have a former player from Michigan State that actually coached here that is now the athletics director at Queens University in Charlotte, North Carolina. She was an assistant AD, never thought she'd be the AD. They started bringing in candidates who the coaches thought weren't very good. And they said, we want her. And so she became the AD. Well, we're on speed dial. You know, I've, I've helped her grow into a new role. And um, it, it, it happens all the time where, you know, in, in new life that these former student athletes have, new occupations, new relationships. You know, they, they need some help. They need some guidance. So, you know, I think every coach is always there for their student athletes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I like. Our coaches right now, we have a great group of coaches who care about their kids as people and, and want them to grow as people and be good citizens and good leaders and good teachers and good husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and all, all those kinds of things. And I'm really, really proud of that and really grateful for that. There's a, there's a concept, I think, both in coaching and even in athletic administration that it has a tendency overall to be a bit of a nomadic lifestyle. You move to a lot of different schools. There's also the outstanding aspect of being in a place for a long time where you do create and cultivate those relationships throughout the years. But the negative, I would assume, is you are the one person in the athletic department who everybody goes to for any kind of information or history. Yeah, that's that's true. And, um, you know, I, I, I do have a lot of in, institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We're very fortunate. You know, all those people I already mentioned, fortunately, are still here in the community. Larry Lyons is here in the community. 
Um, you know, we we have former presidents in in this community, which you know I think all of those people I just mentioned are tremendous assets to all of us that are here now, navigating this this climate we're in, uh, not just of athletics but the world and and how how that helps their knowledge, their wisdom. There is so much wisdom in our former coaches, our former administrators, our former presidents. We are blessed, you know, not not everyone can say that they have three former presidents living in in the community, right. former athletic director, former senior former coach. That doesn't happen everywhere. This is a great community. And and I, I I think it's it speaks a lot that that we have people like that that want to stay in this community and want to help and want to give back and um, again I I just feel I feel blessed and grateful that I've been allowed to be a part of this for thirty years and any way I can help any one of our coaches or staff members I'm I'm always there to do that and. I take pride in it, and I would want somebody to help me if I was a young person or not even a young person, just somebody trying to navigate a situation. And some of the situations that, you know, come up on a daily basis now with, you know, student athletes and some of our mental health issues that that we're dealing with, and not just student athletes, but our staff and our coaches. It's a tough, tough world out there. It was tough before COVID. It's even tougher now. It, it really is. Somebody once told me that when you're looking at a coaching job or an administrative job, one of the things you want to look for when you visit a college campus is the sign of cranes or construction, because it usually dictates it's a viable college campus. You take what has gone on physically on this campus in recent years, couple that with the numbers, the record numbers that admissions has been able to bring in. Talk a little bit, I'd be remiss not to ask you, just the growth of this institution since your time here and even probably the corresponding growth of Bloomington Normal. It's been unbelievable. Again, 30 years ago when I you know, drove into Uptown and I was like, this this is up down. <laughs> uh, I've been here before, you know, to compete and but never been to uptown. It's it's amazing. And it really is amazing, you know, as I talk to my colleagues uh, in the conference, especially the, the town and gown relationship we have is is really not this way everywhere. So we're very, very fortunate that that the town and the and the city in the county, I mean, I, I feel like everybody is working together to make Blono, you know, a much better place. And interestingly, I, I met uh, the other day with the admissions counselors to, you know, talk about athletics and our, you know, our successes and our bragging points. And, you know, I complimented them throughout my whole presentation because we talk about that all the time, the job they do bringing these record freshman enrollment, you know, or freshman classes in, it's, it's amazing. You know, here in the state, we compare ourselves to Illinois because we are growing, we are mm-hmm. doing positive things, we are adding engineering, we are, you know, doing so many things that many of the other publics are not. And so it is a team effort. I give Al Bowman all the credit in the world. When Al became president, 
he pretty much told everybody, I'm driving the bus and the bus is heading upward and if you want to be on the bus, come along. And he also told everybody, knock it off, knock down your silos. We need to work together better. And he raised the academic standard and, um, you know, we're, we're a different institution, you know, mm-hmm. because of that. We, we all prosper when, you know, we bring in these record classes. We, we all prosper when we build a new football stadium and we have a different, better entry into campus. And it helps everyone. And, you know, we're over on the other side of campus. And, you know, we talk about the academic sure. side. And we like the fact we're over here. Um, we give all the credit in the world to the academic side. And, um, you know, but, but we work closely with, with all the units. Again, I go to my conference meetings and I talk about collaboration with admissions and housing and dining and financial aid. And they look at me like I'm crazy. But we, we have that relationship. Mm-hmm. We do work together. And, and student affairs, college, pick, pick the area. We are all in this together. And we're going to need to continue to be even stronger partners, I feel, going forward with some of the challenges of decreasing number of available students to go to college. Right. And, and, you know, the financial hardships that families are experiencing, you know, families losing, you know, parents losing employment because of COVID or all the different issues, it's going to be even more important going forward. And, and I, I feel like we can do it, but we're going to have to continue to keep our silos knocked down and hold hands and, and work together and be the best Illinois state we can be. And, and I really feel like we can because we're pretty darn good right now and, and we can be better. And, you know, we, we do need some more cranes and, you know, we need to get fine arts finished so that it opens up opportunities. You know, we do need another residence hall. and. And, and John, our list is a mile long of what we need in <laughs> athletics. And, and, you know, we're going to continue to all work to try to do what we can to make our side of campus, you know, bigger and better and, and help with recruiting. So we're, we're in this together. And to me, that is empowering to be together like we are. The growth on campus, and I think even the electricity around the athletic department is palpable throughout all of Bloomington Normal, as, as well as on the other side of campus. I've noticed that, and obviously some of the things and successes that both the coaches, the student athletes, and the teams on the field or on the court have done has resonated throughout the community, I think, quite well. Now, after 30 years, even though you've changed positions at times, added subtracted some new roles, you should have it pretty much down pat on what you need to do. Now we fast forward to 2023, and the goalpost for virtually everything in college athletics is changing on a daily basis. Where do you kind of see this going, and how just on a day-to-day basis, you amid the rest of the administrators, how do you just try to navigate this to make sense of it all? Well, that's a tough job. And, you know, I, starting about a year ago, I said, you know, in five years, I'm not sure we're going to recognize intercollegiate athletics. Mm. And you know what, John? It could be five minutes. It could be five <laughs> weeks or five months. Um, and we've already seen changes. And 
It, it absolutely has changed day to day. You know, when now when you go out in the community and you run into a donor and, you know, they're not asking you, you know, questions that you might think you, you would get on a daily basis. Hey, well, hey, what about NIL? Or, hey, have we lost anybody to the transfer portal? And, you know, I don't always know the answers to those questions, but it's on their minds too. And I think, you know, in terms of, Transfer portal and NIL, especially NIL, we really missed an opportunity with NIL to put guardrails. You know, mm-hmm. it the the original intent of NIL is not where we are today. Right. As many coaches said would happen, you know, they felt like it could end up the wild, wild west, just like transfer portal, and clearly they both have. So we missed an opportunity to really make NIL what it was supposed to be. And uh, again, I'm going to quote Al Bowman, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube. I I think with both NIL and the transfer portal, um, I had never heard that phrase until he said it to me one day. Toothpaste is out of the tube and and going back in. Um, So, you know, it's not going to go away. And, And clearly it affects us at our level. But it does not affect us at the same level as it does the Power Fives. You look at LSU this summer, you know, LSU already had two players on their team that had um, million-dollar NIL deals. Well, transfer portal, they picked up the very best player from DePaul, 500,000 NIL, and another transfer, 500,000. That's $3 million dollars in four women's basketball players at LSU. That's crazy. Where where does that money come from? And and you know, again, we we are we're the only school in the conference that has a, a staff member right. and a half devoted to NIL who they've worked very very hard. We have some student athletes who are very interested. They've been very aggressive. In, in seeking their NIL deals. And once again, we, we can't do that for them. And we have others that are like, you know, I, I, I need a 3-8. And I, I have a little bit of time to go do a clinic or go do a, but I don't want to do that. And it's, it's like, okay, that, that's fine. But, and so they're all different. But I know, I know men's basketball, are, you know, I know Ryan is up against that. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit different for him than it is, I'm not saying Kristen on the women's side hasn't been up against it a little bit, but certainly not to the level that, sure. that Ryan has. And again, it says a lot about the level of, of basketball player Ryan's recruiting. And so you're going to run up against some of the power fives and what they're, even though they technically can't offer, it's pretty much common knowledge what's, what's out there. But, um, you know, we, we just, we try to stay ahead of it you know, within the rules, you know, with especially with NIL, we we help where we can, where it's legal, you know, within our state of Illinois laws. And with the transfer portal, I think all of our coaches are committed to keeping the culture as positive mm-hmm. as, as they can so that kids don't want to leave. Sure. But, John, again, you've been doing this. You can have the best culture in the world and that third party person pulls that student athlete to the side or pulls the parent to the side and says, hey, I can get you this here. You know, again, you can have the best culture in the world. Some of these kids, where they come from, that kind of money, 
the thought of that kind of money changes how they perceive your culture. Mm-hmm. And and again, you know, we our coaches are aware of it, and I, I think our coaches do the best job they can for a culture where the kids know that they care about them, they love them, they want to help them. They're going to coach them hard. We want to win championships, but we're doing everything we can, you know, to make it a place that kids want to stay, want to be proud of, want to graduate, you know, proud of the Redbirds on the front of their jersey. And, and but it's, it's changing, you know, daily, you know. Who knows what it's going to end up being like? There's going to be some situations, obviously, you can't help somebody getting that third-party knowledge and thinking that the grass might be green or something else. But I think it's it's worth noting the doubling-down effect of the importance of high-character people in the coaching staff roles. Obviously, you've helped create that throughout the years. But right now, this – and you've mentioned this already this afternoon – it's a really special group of head coaches who are good leaders and great-character people here throughout the athletic department. Absolutely. I, I can't uh... – <laughs> I can't reinforce that enough. And, and, you know, we've said that for years. Uh, we are so fortunate that we have the coaches that we have leading. These young people who are inundated on a daily basis, you know, with things that are going on and, you know, the whole effect of social media that, you know, has, has changed their perception of themselves mm-hmm. and has led to a lot of the mental health issues. Sure. and. You know, kids don't miss free throws, you know, on purpose. Kids don't miss field goals. And some of the people on social media that hide behind a screen and throw these 18, 19-year-olds under the bus, I mean, it's just so, it's so unfortunate. But it's the world we live in. You know, it's kind of like our coaches say, the transfer portal taketh away and giveth. Social media helps us and hurts us in, in so many different ways. I mean... You know, we rely on social media to promote the the good things we're doing, yet whew, there, there's some aspects of it that just really, really hurt. Well, there's few people that are better equipped and more caring to navigate this whole thing for both an athletic department and the student-athletes than you are. Leanna, thank you so much for your time today. really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you John. Uh, my honor to do this, and I'm proud to be a Redbird. Go Birds! Our guest this week, Illinois State Senior Deputy Director of Athletics, Leanna Bordner. That'll do it for our show this week. For our entire Redbird Sports Properties crew, this is John Fitzgerald. We'll talk to you next time right here on In the Nest. This has been In the Nest, the Illinois State Athletics podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation on the Xfinity Mobile Redbird Sports Network.